Hello and welcome to Q&A Quest episode 94. I'm your host, Mike Apps, a.k.a. Wheels, and with me as always... Uh, chosen Undead, Family Master, David Verney. So your managed pen, Michael Baker, Gaijin And returning and to popular demand, Josh Carpenter. Welcome mm. back. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> it's good to be back. Oh, thank God. <laughs> well, You haven't scared me off yet. <laughs> Give it time. Well, before I do just that by derailing the show with Dark Souls talk, you want to tell us about your experience finally beating the last boss and... Middle Max, a certain you know? video game we have advocated for in the past. <laughs> <laughs> See, like, I wish there was a really good story about, like, that I figured out, like, some new mechanic or some new, or I had, like, some new epiphany on how to beat him. But really, I think I just got lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I went back sometimes. and he didn't. I still never figured out, like, I must have fought him, like, 10 or 11 times, and I never figured out what his attack pattern was. Because sometimes he does this um, this beam, this huge beam attack that attacks everyone on the screen, and it has a fairly high chance of uh, critting your characters. And sometimes he doesn't use that. Sometimes he uses this attack, which is, a like, a different beam attack followed by missiles that only it targets, like, one unit. Huh. And so if he does that, you're okay. And if he does the beam attack over and over again, you're just kind of screwed no matter what. <laughs> so I had I never figured out if there was something I could do to kind of like trigger one of the attacks or the other. But whatever, I got past him. <laughs> so did you make use of evasion abilities or did you just really luck out? No, I just really lucked out. I you was working towards out. I was working towards leveling up my evasion abilities. And and I had beaten another game that 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 night, and I was just like, to heck with it! I'm gonna give it one more go with uh, just bum rushing him. <laughs> you got really lucky. I got real lucky. I've had some experiences like that with some final bosses, like um, the last boss in uh, the Sheeran Vita game with the long title. But, uh, uh... Tower of Fortune mystery or something, tower or something. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the one. Um, the last sure boss, on five. The last <laughs> boss could like summon additional enemies, which if you're unlucky and he does that a bunch of times, you pretty much just lose. So I think when I finally beat it, he only did it like once or twice. Construct additional pylons. Yes. Uh, so yeah, sometimes you just gotta get lucky. That probably happened yep. to me with the Mugen Souls final boss that I don't actually remember anything about. Probably for good reasons. That's, sometimes your brain does that to protect yeah. yourself. Um, Bird, your brain. Oh no. I can't believe Wheel's brain got Moe killed. <laughs> Moe. <laughs> I'm just. Oh man. Whenever I think about the. Like, I'm just. 
I'm imagining whales fighting the final boss of Mugen Souls, but my brain is just constructing the fight that uh, Henry Cooldown and No More Heroes 2 has, where he just, like, falls... Excuse me for a moment. Oh, right in the middle of the story. <laughs> excuse me for yeah. that. Uh, no. Henry Cooldown has a fight where he's seeing Travis's poster and having a nightmare about, like, his horrible anime. <laughs> So he just, like, <laughs> it's really good, because it's just, like, he has to have a boss fight in his nightmare where he's just killing all of Travis's favorite anime girls that are trying to kill him. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, earlier this year when I was trying to finish off uh, um, Witch in the Hundred Night 2 for review, um, you know, like, yeah, yeah, I was playing through that, struggling through that, and... Um, like pause sent me a uh, a guide, you know, an ending guide to it, and I, I, you know, like I'm like, I didn't really look carefully at it, and I'm just like, you know, like she knows I'm hating this game. Why, why does she think that I'm going to want to, you know, see all the different endings? I'm just struggling to get through it, and then you know later on I kind of go back and look at it and open it up, and I realize, oh wait, you can get the normal ending a chapter early rather than if you make this certain choice. So she was you trying just, to help me finish. You can it. just reach an ending and review it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yep. I mean, Paz has had her own experiences with this, like the time where I think an actual um, Square rep told her that she actually had to beat the Battle of South Mountaintop in order to beat Saga Frontier 2. And, <laughs> and for everyone in the audience, that was the single hardest strategy battle in the game, which was not required to win because canonically, <laughs> the guy whose side you were playing lost. <laughs> So. Well done. Talk about Frontier 2 is special. They're, they all are. They yeah. all. Yeah. Well, speaking of much better games, Dark Souls is out on the Switch. Yay. And it plays very well. I've already rung two bells. Mm-hmm. And it how, how many times have you died? Crazy hard. How many times have I died? Uh, a few dozen. You know, about standard. I died at least once because they transposed A and B, and my brain can't take it. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that is destroying my brain. I understand why they did it, but at the same time, it just like. There's been a few times where it's like, okay, close this menu so I can respond to this threat. Nope, nope, I accidentally went further into the menu. Yeah, so I went to play Valkyria Chronicles 4 after playing some Dark Souls, and <laughs> it was a bit rough for a bit. <laughs> uh. No, the Switch port's really good. Uh, it is definitely not using the updated art assets for the PS4 and Xbox versions, but I kind of think that's for the best. I don't actually think the updates did the game many favors. No, I was kind of disappointed, to be honest, with the, uh, the original remaster. Not just with... In general, it, it, it made a lot of changes to the lighting that I don't think helped the game's atmosphere. Yeah, not just that, but maybe I was expecting too much, but after the, uh, if you want to call it a remaster, it was more of a rework of Dark Souls 2, I was really hoping for something like that, and 
no such no, luck. No, it was not a scar of the first sin. It was yeah. meant to preserve the game as it was, and mechanically it mostly does that. Sure. Um, but, I mean, as much as I love the original Dark Souls, um, there's some things in there that could have used uh, some reworking, retouching. Uh, are we going to talk about weapon modification trees and no, tune no. out like eight on the no, audience? No, that's fine. Um, uh, that, that's going a bit too deep, sorry, because I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, but you could could have, could have, say, removed a certain <clears throat> boss in a certain... Um, I feel like you'd have area. to replace it with something. A certain evil tree-ish thing. Oh, you you hate the uh, that special secret area where you fall through a tree in Blighttown. <sighs> Not that. And see, that's that's. An... <laughs> I like that area, but there's no point. You to love it. fighting giant man-eating clams. Yeah, but I mean, they could have. That that's an area they could expand could have expanded on, like the painted world, which is completely pointless. I mean, the Painted World was never going to be expanded on because it's uh, just the remnants of the like project pitch. I guess. It's just... Yeah, I guess Scholar of the First Sin probably set my expectations too high. Like, Scholar of the First Sin was also a very different situation because they sure. were like... They, they had set out specifically to iron out problems people saw with the original release of Dark Souls 2, whereas Remastered was very specifically current consoles don't play the old version, so there needs to be a way to play it. Yeah, I could, yeah. I know. There's the broader question of what the role of a remaster is versus a remake. Sure. And, I mean, obviously this is me. My expectations were obviously way too high because we've been getting remasters for years with nothing new, and I haven't complained until this game. So uh, I guess it's just how important I find this game that I kind of was hoping for more. On the bright side, the Switch version may only run at 30 frames per second, but it doesn't drop to 10 frames per second in Blighttown. Nope. But anyway, if you're going in Blighttown, you're doing it wrong. Like, it drops to 10 frames per second in the part of Blight Town that you can't even avoid, so... Eh, I, I don't remember it having too many issues in the big swamp uh, area. I, I do. Like, I remember it running horribly, and it, uh, and right. it did. I, I was looking at, like, a comparison analysis that was like, oh, let's see, yeah, what, let's it, see what they've done. And it's like, it, oh, yeah, this runs at 12 frames a second. It was rough. We'll it was a bad that. place to go for a multitude of reasons, and you wanted to skip as much of it as possible for a multitude of reasons. Yep. And thankfully there was a way right in there to do that. But Do that. It saves you a lot of time. Maybe experience it once, just to know why people hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, anyway, I don't want to bore people too much with Dark Souls. Uh, I am writing up an impression of it, which I hope to finish possibly by the time this goes up. Uh, kind of going over what I had hoped for and what obviously is very good about the remaster. Because yeah, it's and mostly I'll, good. Yeah, and I'll just say, like, if you weren't entirely pleased with the updates made to the graphics, like, this, well, guess what? There's a version of the remaster for you, and it's this one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the other thing I was going to say is the amiibo. It's a very nice amiibo. What it unlocks is really, really stupid. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that seems... I'm surprised it doesn't unlock something that's designed to troll you. Uh, I'd say it kind of does. <laughs> now I need to know. It unlocks the uh, praise the sun gesture. You know, that thing you which always is, get. Which is already very easy to get in the game. 
But hey, you can get it immediately at the start of the game, and yay. You can praise the sun in front of the tutorial boss and get destroyed. <laughs> yeah, actually, that's, uh, that's not, not too bad, but yeah. That sounds like art, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, yeah, enough Dark Souls. Cool. Let's move Please. on to some actual questions. Sorry, sorry, Mike, sorry. <laughs> uh, Squiggly Leo, who is actually Squiggy Leo, says, nice opening song choice for last episode. <laughs> What did you choose? Almost as if, he, as if he was in on the joke. Uh, two Princes by... Uh, the hell is their name again? The Spin Doctors. Thank you. Thank you. Marry him. Marry me. Yeah. I've had that song stuck in my head all week. Thank you. Well, now you have to listen to it while playing Dark Souls. It's made by the Two Princes in 3. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> Dark it Souls becomes 3. hypnotic after a while. I speak from experience. <laughs> Dark Souls Three is like my white whale. Like it's the game that I, I should have should have been able to like devour immediately, and it just like bounced off me, and I don't get it. Hey, you're learning to play a melee character. Yeah. Well, maybe that will prepare me better. Anyway, first actual question is from staff member Strawberry Eggs, who says. Ugh, ignition. They have forever earned my ire for what they did to Arkrise Fantasia. Oh man, that uh, that game's localization is uh... devil beating his wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah. I think I think that exact point in the game where was the point where I was like, yeah, you know, I'm good. I'm just gonna go play <laughs> something else. It's a shame. That game's basically another Tales of the Abyss. There's a lot of things I like about it, but uh, it could do with a relocalization that it will never, ever get, because it's never coming out again, and no one will ever play it again. Yeah, that was the point where it's like, yeah, I don't think I can soldier through this localization. Go play something better. (laughs) Or at least better localized. Ignition existed. I remember the first time I saw a game with the Ignition logo on it, and I was like, what the heck? What is this? This obviously wasn't made by... Like, this was obviously... It, it was like this DS, like, visual novel that I had never heard of, and all I could think was, like, this doesn't look like it was put together by a fly-by-night company, but at the same time, this localization that I'm seeing reference to is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember anything else about the game. It wasn't terribly memorable. I think it was called Lux Pain. I don't think anyone ever played it. But at the same time, it was super weird that like a game could come out that it was obviously not made by a company that was essentially like existed to see what quick buck they could get and then die, but could be so profoundly terrible and cheap. <laughs> Oh man! What strange, strange! Like they lived a short and strange life, and I think the only thing that they'll go down in like cult video game fandom history for is did that initial bad localization of Muramasa and uh, localized the original uh, Deadly Premonition. Like, about, I don't remember El Shaddai having that bad of a localization, but maybe it's that been a was, long That time. one's by far their best. Yeah, that that was fine. 
But that like was they, right before they folded, wasn't it? Yeah, they tried to clean up their act right before they died. <laughs> didn't I mean wasn't didn't they fund the development of that? They were involved in that somehow. Like UTV Ignition was like I want to say they were owned by a much larger company that's based out of like India. Yeah. Uh, let me double check this. Apparently, UTV was ultimately yeah, video game publisher of in publishing arm of Indian media conglomerate UTV Software Communications, who was then bought out by Disney of all companies. What? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, UTV, UTV is now owned by Disney, which means that technically, uh, Disney owns El Shaddai. Uh, I don't think they kept all the rights to that. I don't. They were around longer than I realized. They were just publishing things I'd never heard of because they were publishing things like monster bass fishing on the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> uh, I guess... I actually must have played a couple of their... Uh, a couple of things they published that I just never realized because they were PS2 ports of King of Fighters games. But, uh... Yeah. Nah. Yeah, such winners like National Geographic Challenge. Oh, finally, someone challenges <laughs> National Geographic. Oh, Blade Dancer, Lineage of Light. Everyone remembers that beloved PSP RPG. Which one? Oh, Blade Dancer? Blade Dancer, Lineage of Light. There were like two really bad original RPGs that sort of milled around on the PSP early in its lifetime because what else were you going to play? And one of them was Blade Dancer, and the other one was Valhalla Knights. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, that would trigger a memory. Oh. But, yeah, 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 not not of any of the ones published by them, though. Of the freaking third one that I had to review for the Vita. No, I remember. That was <laughs> that was something. <laughs> but yeah, Ooh. they uh, they lived a short. Well, not sh as short as I thought, but a relatively short, ignominious life, uh, mostly localizing SNK games, and not much else. Uh, they put out that, uh, they apparently published the Card Fighters Clash DS game that's bugged to hell. Yeah, that sounds about right. Which, uh... Remember that era of like DS games that would come out and it's just like, oh, this, this is just broke. Like, there's no patches, but no one tried hard enough. Okay, I, that explains. These were published... Uh, Ignition published a lot of SNK games in Europe, which is why I would not have remembered seeing their names uh, on them. They apparently did a lot okay. of those. But yeah, UTV Ignition... Uh, strange Boondoggle. We'll go with Strange Boondoggle. <laughs> but hey, at least we got Deadly Premonition in the U.S. out of it. And El Shaddai, sir. El Shaddai. I suppose El Shaddai did not fail to materialize. Thank you. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, El Contronadonai. Sorry. Wow. <laughs> Getting educated in here. No, it's actually an old Christopher Ross song that was popular when I was in junior high school. That's a form of education. Uh, yeah. But yeah, apparently El Shaddai was made by an Ignition Tokyo that almost definitely doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah. oh most definitely not. But hey, it probably would have been briefly owned by Disney. 
Disney presents uh, El Shaddai on ice. Presumably, Kadokawa bought most, if not all, of their assets at some stage, uh, if not all of Ignition Tokyo's assets at some stage, given that it is the uh, publisher of Lost Child in Japan. Yeah, and those characters are in that game. So, yeah. Uh, right. It would be interesting to hear who... Uh, who was involved in that very strange business deal and why, but we probably also won't be able to find many public records about it. Yeah. The only thing that's not surprising to me is that uh, THQ Nordic didn't pick them up since they seem to be buying like every dead property ever. <laughs> what else have they picked up aside from Darksiders? Um, whatchamacallit? Uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. Oh yeah, that must have been real cheap. I would imagine that the government of Rhode Island was keen to get that off their hands. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'd just love to be able to say, like, video game property, video game IP sold by the government of Rhode Island. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the first and last time. But it would have made an interesting thing to go on the, you know, go before the title screen. The government of Rhode Island helped bring this game. <laughs> brought to you by, brought to you by massive, massive debt in Kurt Schilling's name. <laughs> Visit Providence. <laughs> oh. Providence don't live there. <laughs> the Kingdom of Amalur is actually uh, a real place crafted entirely out of the mind of the Providence Rhode Island Tourism Board. <laughs> oh. not, well, too far was... from, not too far from scenic Newport. <laughs> You're going to go take a visit to the Kingdom of Amalur wheels? Uh, I was actually in Newport not a few weeks ago. Yeah, that makes sense. Ironically. Ironically. Helping Rhode Island to pay off their Kingdom of Amalur debt. <laughs> so much Kingdom of Amalur. <laughs> Everything uh, about Kingdom of Amalur sounds like a joke made up to create a, a concept uh, so absurd that it couldn't have happened. Oh yeah, the, the baseball player, he was like, oh, I really like Elder Scrolls, so he got like a bunch of people to make like an MMO that never came out, and also... Like an Elder Scrolls knockoff, but written by the guy who wrote all those Dragonlance novels. Uh, yeah, some of that's off, but it's close enough, so whatever. <laughs> Wasn't it R.A. Salvatore involved? Yeah, he didn't yeah, write any Dragonlance. Forgotten Realms. Oh, yes. Forgotten Realms. Come on, man. Come on. The same thing. He, did all the, he did all the drow-related stuff. And, Ooh, well. The same thing. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Try Ooh. and stop me, yeah, all, all of... All of the ridiculously gritty, grim, dark, underdark stuff. Yeah, that was him. Tales yep. from the underdark. Or it's especially grim and dark. Yes. Let's go to dark bad. <laughs> oh, well. Should we go to Strawberry Eggs' actual question? Please. <laughs> Since we've done all this from her opening statement. Listen, it was a really easy jumping off point. That's Thank true. you, Strawberry Eggs. <laughs> uh, see. Anyway, with the release of The World Ends With You Final Remix and the upcoming release of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition, I'm reminded that both games have soundtracks that are so fitting for their setting that it sounds more like the music comes from the game world. That is to say, it sounds like the music was something that was composed and performed by the denizens of the world, 
what are other RPGs do you feel have music uh, that fitting to their setting? It's a good Cynic one. Gears. That's yeah. That's a good I was one. gonna say either Xenogears or Chrono Cross. Yeah. Really made to the soundtracks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like you know, with um, Chrono Trigger, when you first get to the floating continents, that um, the, uh, the background music there just really does sound like what you would imagine the local music to be. Yeah, that's true. Or even just starting out with the Millennial Fair music in Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that too. I always have my cheating answer, and that would be like Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that is very much cheating. <laughs> it's cheating, but works. All the Persona games also generally have like that. That tendering, it's easy to incorporate motifs of modern music into a game that takes place in a modern real-world place. <laughs> Which, uh. You could say that it's cheating to invoke a sense of place in a place that has a real world, like, style and feel, rather than having to evoke one on a place you have invented from whole cloth. But I mean, sure. That's one of the decisions you make when you're making, deciding your setting. I mean, The World Ends With You nailed it way better than I think a lot of games even did with the same setting. Oh, I mean, like, World Ends With You is also, like, the most stylish, like, everything fits into its aesthetic. Every single thing is built around reinforcing the same set of ideas, attitudes, goals, and, like, aesthetic. Yeah. Which is part of why it sticks out in the brain so much, even though, like, a lot of people don't even like it that much. <laughs> it's Yeah, it's just very, it's just, I don't know, it's, it draws in your brain, I guess. It's, it, it, creates a very cohesive feeling that a lot of things don't have where it's yeah. like it's it's hard to imagine taking any portion of world ends with you out of it and still having the same product yeah i mean i think i've said before that like the original ds release didn't necessarily gameplay wise stick with me but i mean as soon as it came out on a tab on like iphone tablet i it's had so to get it, it. so yeah. Yeah, it just sticks in your brain. But I mean, uh, Crystal Chronicles, I think, is a really good one, too. Yeah. I was thinking, uh, like, the Crystal Chronicles, like, subseries all, one way or another, ended up under the auspices of, like, Kawazu. He just sort of ended up shepherding that uh, sub brand. Uh, for a large portion of its existence, but uh, all the really weird stuff sometimes. Yeah, crystal yeah. bears. Yeah, crystal bears. But the thing that strikes me about Kawazu when he's involved with like a world, the conception of a game's world, is that in order to make a setting have verisimilitude, a lot of play, a lot of games will rely on the idea that the world needs to feel consistent across its many areas. Like, there needs to be something that ties this world to itself. And you'll see different cultures, but they all feel very connected. Whereas, like, when Kawazu games have a world, it doesn't abide by that. They can feel very surreally disconnected, but in a way that, like, because they're all so properly... They are all so disconnected 
but all still share a handful of things. They feel more distinct, but also still feel like the same world. Not sure I can bring what I'm trying to say across without losing myself halfway through the sentence. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, I think I can connect this into uh, one of Budai's questions way down the way. Sure. Which early portable game really did impressive stuff based on the limited hardware? Mm. Final Fantasy Legend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one, one and two, both of which were actually kind of series of, of smaller worlds strung together because they just did not have enough memory space to hold an actual narrative. Mm -hmm. So they, they had a lot of fun seeing how much stuff they could cram into one cartridge of the early Game Boy games. It's like a 1989 game, Final Fantasy Legend 1. is crazy. Yes. <laughs> Yes. And Legend 2 is even better because it actually managed to have a semi-consistent story, mm -hmm. even though you're going across multiple worlds that are literally nothing alike. Yeah. I feel like if I, if I try to suss out the point I was trying to make, it's that Kawazu games, their settings have essentially the self-assuredness to produce things that are allowed to be disconnected. Whereas a lot of times when you're making a world to tell a story, you end up producing something that has to fundamentally connect everything at least a little bit. Yeah, hermeneutics. Mm. So, I guess that, I guess that's the point I was trying to get across and probably failing, but uh, it was something I was thinking well, about when I was just thinking about it. It's like a lot of Kawazu's world, especially with the Saga games, you get the sense that the world is bigger than the part that you're just looking at. Yeah. Whereas a lot of a lot of games, especially RPGs, want to give you the impression that you're exploring the whole world. Yeah. And so, ironically yeah. end up producing a journey that feels smaller than it should. Yeah, or like the Metal Max series, there's never any doubt that you are only looking at a small section of the planet at any given time. Yeah. It's just that everything is so blown to hell that you can't really get much farther. Yeah. Or, like, this was also one of the things people really liked, Sui liked about Suikoden back when that was a going concern, and why people were so upset by the spinoffs, was that, like, the first five are all looking at different conflicts in different parts of the same world, and, like, they might be looking at conflicts people don't care about, because, I mean, it's like, oh, here's the one from 200 years ago, because they were terrified of moving the timeline forward, but, I mean, it was still, it gave the impression of a very grand world that had a lot more to it. Yeah, um, or Trails in the Sky series. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think Falcom really across all their series do a good job with that. Because, I mean, you look at East and you're only ever in, like, a tiny little section of the world. But, you know, you always get a sense of all kinds of different things out there. and You always get a sense that Adol is exploring, like, some new place that no one's ever seen before. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, you know, I'd, I'd almost say I'd love like an East game where you get to explore more of the world, but that's all of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Essentially, I just want more East. Give me more East. That restrained sense of scope, ironically, makes the scope feel bigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because it allows multiple games to build on that sense of scope. Unlike your typical Tales game, where you take a good look at the map and you're like, "That's the entire planet." <laughs> and then you play Tales of Symphonia, and that's two entire planets. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> or, I mean, that was one of my major points when I did that April Fool's knockoff of Gravely um, Default. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you got a, co- a supposedly heavily populated continent the size of Manhattan. With the population of, um, like, Hydro, Oklahoma. One of the smallest <laughs> things I think of. This does remind me that uh, another game that does this kind of thing almost by accident and has gotten surprisingly weird about it is Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, they, they've sort of retroactively built in all these little connections between the regions, and every time a remake came in, they'll, like, build in more references. But then, like, nowadays people start guessing where the next ones will take place a lot earlier because there will be a reference to, like, a region no one's ever heard of. I remember people worked out that Sun and Moon were going to be in, like, a Hawaii-inspired region by, like, a... Like, what's the one item we found in this game that looks like it comes from nothing we've ever seen before and that the game has some sort of descriptive text about? (laughs) So it produces this very strange situation where it's like, how did Pokemon end up up having one of the largest RPG worlds on the planet? (laughs) Because they just didn't stop. Pretty much. Because that beta version of Gold and Silver that they showed at like that they showed at Space World like nineteen ninety eight and that someone finally data mined like last year that uh, had like a map that was just all of Japan and the initial route the initial like Pokemon red and blue map was confined to a single city for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean it pretty much is Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. But uh, it, it was just really funny that, uh, like, they always had this sort of ambition of, like, ah, oh, Pokemon will eventually encompass all of Japan. And then they were like, mm, let's stop making all of these be Japan. Now we'll go everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think we left soundtracks behind. I apologize. That's my fault. <laughs> no worries. Okay, so a different game with interesting stuff. Um, soundtrack choices. Uh, Sigma Harmonics. Oh, I've mentioned this before. Where your main character is actually actually has a conductor's baton and uses sonic-based magic, but all the fighting is done by his partner. And you you change the background the uh, background music for the battle in order to change her attack modes. Hmm. And, Neat. Yeah. Or um, Zetai Onkan Otoda Master, the Pokemon, um, the Pokemon clone that used the um, DS microphone to catch monsters. Did that actually work better than most implementations of the DS microphone? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, I mean, depending on the upgrades that you got over the course of the game, you started off by um, getting monsters that were literally the sound of a door slamming or a similar <laughs> uh, or feet walking on wood um, and then eventually the microphone could recognize actual words hmm. Um, hmm. like there were certain keywords that if you spoke them into the microphone during the um, while you had the um, catching mechanism on then you could actually get new monsters that way and of course hmm. the most annoying one was the one that required you to have a grade school recorder <laughs> and play the, play the notes play specific notes in order in order to unlock a monster I'll have you know I threw out my recorder the second I left grade school 
<laughs> so yeah, I certainly did not complete the monster index on that one. But this is also the game where, I mean, the entire the entire thing was heavily focused on sound and music, and then the final villain was Hush, the god of silence. <laughs> Actually, the, I mean, I called him Hush. The Japanese name was Sheen. Mm. First, because that's one of the readings for the, the kanji for god. It's the same reason why Sin um, is called Sin in Final Fantasy X. Mm. But also because Sheen, with an extended vowel, is the onomatopoeia for silence in Japanese manga. Mm. Ah. So... So yeah, when the god of silence finally wakes up at, um, in the end game and changes the volcano in the middle of the island into his palace, when you go there, there is no background music. <laughs> um, you still have like menu sounds and occasionally battle sounds, but there's no background music. You go farther in, you lose the battle sounds. You go farther in, you lose the menu sounds. Wow. Yeah, um, a little past that, um, your hero loses, uh, is losing a battle because he literally cannot give commands to his monsters because they can't hear him. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's forced back, and then all of his friends from um, that he's made across the game get together with their instruments just outside the edge of the worst of the silence, and they force it back with an impromptu rock roll. And that becomes the background music for the rest of the game. Because, yeah, literally everyone else is fighting for you by rocking out as hard as they can. Like, yeah, hooray for Shonen games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? That's no, it. My brain's Can't just really. going to soundtracks that are remarkably unfitting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, seemed important. What are some totally inappropriate soundtracks then? Mm, <sighs> like all I can think of are things that aren't RPGs. And inappropriate soundtracks are not necessarily bad things. I mean, Marvel vs. Capcom too. Gonna take you for a ride. <laughs> Listen, you don't get pump, pumped at like the smooth jazz stylings of Gonna Take You for a Ride? No, I do not. Wow. Well, I was thinking uh, also of the uh, very, at the time, seeming like definitely threw people by surprise Sonic Rush soundtrack by Jet Set Radio compu composer Hideki Naganuma. Which uh, samples things such as like uh, Malcolm X speech. What? <laughs> the the boss music uh, called Wrapped in Black samples a Malcolm X speech, just him saying "too black, too strong." It's huh. a really catchy theme with some really awful MIDI trumpets, but uh, still very like that soundtrack is really good. Go check it out. But uh, not what you expect when you first start up. A Sonic game, you start hearing all of these samples. <laughs> no, no, it's really good though. Wrapped in black. Let's see what else? Um, let's see. Moon RPG Remix Adventure, where you could actually mix and match your own soundtrack by finding MDs across the game. 
Oh, man. Mini disc will never die. Oh, moon disc, <laughs> yeah. Um, and there were a couple puzzles that were reliant on you actually switching out the soundtrack in a certain way. And the final theme song of the game was it's called Karamago, and it... Um, apparently, um, the band that... or the in-house band for Lovadelic called the Thelonious Monkeys... Uh, that, um, one of them had a friend from Britain who was visiting with his family, and they got the like the twelve-year-old daughter of the family to just do like random jazz-style nonce words to the hmm. music. And so, I mean, but this is um, this is the game where every single character is voiced, but they're all voiced in different languages, and the the, the voice samples for each of these languages has been remixed to the point where you kind of think you might understand a word or two if you actually spoke that language, but most of it is complete gibberish. <laughs> but it is recognizably, or each voice is recognizable as that person. Mm. Now I'm just thinking how much I miss uh, video game developers having in having house bands. Yep. Bring back the Konami Keha Club. <laughs> That is part of what makes Falcom unique, that they have the in-house band. Yeah, yeah. they still have I, it. I've seen, I've seen them in concert. Ooh. Oh. They do a show at Tokyo Game Show every year. Damn nice. it. <laughs> I remember Taito had, I think they were called Zuntata. And, uh, I mean... Like, Video game companies having house bands is a really novel thing that sadly will probably never come back. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But they're cool. Go listen to them. They made a lot of the great music that uh, that you know infected games in the eighties and nineties. Yep. Black mages. Yes. That's an outhouse band. Wait, no, that sounds very different from what I intended. Not an in-house <laughs> band. <laughs> I know, but it, I mean, it was formed it by Atsu's in-house guys. Originally. Yeah, yeah. Although, like, I feel like he committed to that a lot more after he left Square. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's when he actually organized them like that. Yeah. Uh, Anything else on the music, or should we go on to the next question? Well, uh, one last positive thing to say, just because it's stuck in my head this year. You know, I wasn't that crazy about Octopath Traveler, but that game had amazing music. Oh, yeah, music yeah. that oh yeah, all the different areas were unique. That that soundtrack is fantastic. I'm going to bring this up only because it's tangentially relevant to what we just discussed. Apparently, Uematsu now performs with a band called the Earthbound Papas. Yeah. Which is a good name. They had an album called Dancing Dead. <laughs> that is so definitely. Huh. Listen, you're intrigued by the name Dancing Dead, and I won't let you lie about it. It's something, all right. Something First you have an first you have a dancing dad and then he goes dancing mad. <laughs> it's the circle of life. 
It's the circle. No, no. Okay, now we move on. Alright, next question from Budai. Have you ever come across a line or a story segment that stood out as so awkward or bizarre in an otherwise normal game? Hmm. In a normal game. The first thing that comes up to mind, my mind is from Fantasy Star 3, which was absolutely not a normal game. <laughs> it tried to be sometimes. Yeah. Oh, the city is too evil to be allowed to stand. Um, um, like, I can remember, like, awkward thing in a game was, like, even Ease 8, as much as I love that, that whole serial killer storyline was just weird and out of place. Oh, I just remembered something. Xenogears, when it's just like, what if Soylent Green just sort of happened in brief for about 20 minutes? Yes, the Soylent program. <laughs> like, that just happens, and nothing really comes out of it. It's just okay. like your party members get hungry, they open a can of something, eat it, and then find out it's humans, and then they sort of move on. <laughs> yeah, but there's so many drop plot threads in that game. Yeah, like, generally when this sort of thing happens, it's because, like, oh... That plot got cut, and then no one, no one really got rid of it. Uh, the traces of it. That happens a lot in Chrono Cross as well. Well, yeah, like well, in uh, Valkyrie Profile, one of the early quests made a reference to the Queen of the Vampires, and then nothing ever happened with that ever again. Too bad because that sounds rad. Um, yeah. But yeah, like usually these end up being the remnants of a plot line that got dropped, and it's like, huh, that was probably foreshadowing something that got erased from existence. But, uh, yeah, the Soylent Green one sticks out. The, uh, basically the entire, uh, that entire climactic scene at Viper Manor in Chrono Cross, where Link starts rambling about how Sergei is the Surge, or Sergei, or however you want to pronounce it, is the, time, is the Chrono Trigger. And that really never goes anywhere either. Yeah, that's not an, that's not an otherwise normal game, though. I suppose, but I mean, you you kind of have to judge normal based on what the game is attempting. And like, I'm using the baseline here as the game clearly has a mood and ideas it's attempting to communicate. And this one thing here is obviously out of step with all of them. But, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No worries, we do that a lot. But yeah, uh, the the Soylent Green thing will forever stand out as the most uh, what the hell is this moment, so. Uh, trying to think of some other good ones. It's generally... Uh, kind of hard for these to make it through to a final release game unless the project project gets really rushed at some stage. Yeah. Unless it's like a Gaijin Works project? <laughs> oh. Oh. What a company. <laughs> Poor Summon Night 5. It had, it had so many bad localization little bits in it. Choices oh. were made. <laughs> choices were made and they were not good choices. <laughs> oh man, I'd let myself forget about Summon Night 5. Oh, please let me forget Summon Night 1. 
<laughs> now, Summonite Cross, or that was much better. But that there's, one was from a tactical RPG. There's a lot of better Summon Knights that aren't Summon Knight 1. Yeah. <laughs> or 5. Or tactical. You know, the ones Atlas was localizing, Swordcraft Story, those were kind of neat. Yeah. The action RPGs? Yeah. Uh, there's the DS1 Twin Age that I never saw much about, but presumably that's not too bad. <laughs> but, uh, or you can play Summon Night 6, which includes characters from all the different Summon Night games, even though we only got, like, two in English. <laughs> well, yeah, all the best parts of Summon Night with all the best parts of Tales of the World. <laughs> there were good parts of that? <laughs> um, only if you really like the characters from the original series. Hmm. Or, if uh, like, or if you were playing the Game Boy Advance games, because those those two were actually pretty good. Not hmm, good. Fair enough. Summoner's okay. Lineage was awful for what it, for the plot. Let's hmm. uh, I feel like another one of these. Like what the hell? Oh yeah, uh, I remembered the existence of Triace Xbox 360 game Infinite Undiscovery, which <laughs> feels <laughs> like the beginning of a about five different RPGs and then it abruptly ends and you fight the man on the moon, basically. It was infinitely undiscovered. <laughs> probably for the best. It's not great. I feel like that project was probably very troubled. But, uh... Yeah, that's, that's another one where... It, that, that one's less an otherwise normal game with suddenly, like, one insane plot and more like a car crash of five competing normal games that all seem insane in each other's contexts. So, yeah, don't play it. It's not very good. Um. Uh, Resonance of Fate had some interesting one-liners, but I think Resonance ultimately of Fate feels like it's they've... designed to imply a larger world, and thus yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It's got some weird lines and some odd, quirky lines, but they ultimately kind of fit the whole game, even if they seem weird when you initially see them. Like, I love that Resonance of Fate is a game that where the entire world is living on a giant air purifier, and there is never any thought or attempt to change that. <laughs> like, that's... Whatever, whatever caused that is not something that your characters have capacity or interest in affecting. Yes. They do not care. <laughs> they just care about surviving, and that's what they'll do. Resonance of Fate is a special game. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, Available now on your PS4 or PC, PC. system. <laughs> PC system? I don't know. Available now on your PC engine, wait. On no. your Steam box. <laughs> yeah, all Do they still sell those? Purchased. I think some third party may sell those still, I don't know. Probably in clearance. They were kind of a bad idea. Yeah. So, good. Yeah, it, there, there ends up being a fine line to draw between, like, game is just implying the existence of adventures you don't get to see, and game obviously had some idea that never went anywhere and feels really out of step with the final version. Oh, I did remember another non-RPG version of this that always makes me smile every time I remember it. What? 
So there was a Grand Theft Auto knockoff in 2003 called True Crime Streets of L.A., mm-hmm. which tries to be as straight-faced as it can, bearing in mind that it is this sort of oorah action game that ends with you karate fighting a North Korean general. But if you like, if you get the good ending, like five-sixths of the way through the game, you go and meet with like a 500-year-old Chinese man who fights, who throws demon skulls at you, and was otherwise a pretty straight-faced Grand Theft Auto knockoff for most of its runtime. Okay, that's kind of a weird switch. Yeah, it really went places. I don't fully understand what happened there, but it, it's probably the most memorable thing about a game that is otherwise intensely unmemorable. I apologize for burdening everyone here with knowledge that true crime, true crime streets of LA happened. It's okay, we forgive you. The, the you only don't. one anyone ever played was Sleeping Dogs, and now that that series is dead. So that was the good one. Yeah, exactly. True crime, New York City, somehow worse than streets of LA. Also broken, broken all the hell. May also have some supernatural element near its ending that I forgot about. What? <laughs> You know what? I don't want to know. You go play Sleeping Dogs and we pretend the rest of them never happened. Okay. Uh, do we have other questions? Budai has a bunch. Oh, As yeah. always. Thank you, Budai. Which game was way ahead of its time? Huh. All Kawazu games. General. Yes. And brown, a lot of the Brownie Browns. Yeah. I mean, just for the Amigo system alone. Oh, definitely. That wasn't uh, I mean, wasn't what the world was shooting for in two thousand one. Street Pass before Street Pass was even a thing. Going back and playing it recently, Starflight was way ahead of its time. I mean, it was like Mass Effect in MS DOS. <laughs> See, also Star Control two. Like, really interesting, you know, big open-world game in, like, 1986. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of those, like, ooh, boy, this will not be a playable video game until technology catches up to it in the late 80s. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, man. The... <laughs> These are these are always fun to look up, uh, just for like, just because they they always end up being the most interesting of bad games. Like, uh, famous crazy Super Nintendo game Draken kind of is a little ahead of its time, but also just really crazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, if you wanted to see a freaking Super Nintendo game trying really hard to do 3D worlds and Really making you regret the, the choice that it made there. I mean, it's there for you. I think a more recent one, uh, The World Ends With You, is kind of a tablet games before tablets were as big as they were now. Because it was on DS. But, I mean, that's a game that very much kind of works... Uh, Restructures in its entire game elements to make it work as a touchscreen game. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it works better on a tablet than it even did on the DS. That that larger field of touchscreen makes it much more 
le- much less off-putting to play a touchscreen-only game. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! I'm just I have thought wrong. about going back to it because the thing that put me off was trying to play both the top and the bottom screen at the same time. Yeah, that's gone. Now. It yeah. just—it just did not work with me. Yeah, that turned a lot of people off. And I mean, I kind of liked it, but it's just. I, I love the frantic. idea. It just didn't, yeah. yeah, I just couldn't it's do a good job. It's such a fast-paced job. game. It's very hard. But, but yeah, the, the subsequent releases, instead of that, you're pretty much just... Uh, your, your partner, partner becomes works. a pin that... Exactly. ...works in... that, like, is designed to activate uh, based on... Essentially, like, if you do certain kinds of pins, like, your partner is almost guaranteed to activate along with them, because... That's kind of the intention. Mm-hmm. Like any pin that you would activate by poking an enemy is going to automatically activate your partner, which will create a lot of sync combos. I'm staring at Draken's like giant flat shade one polygon backgrounds and dying a little Ooh. inside. Ooh. Um, hey, it's a Super Nintendo game. What do you want? But I I, I love a game that. Uh, really, really fights technology tooth and nail and fails. <laughs> uh, remembering the arcade game iRobot, which uh, I believe it's, it was a 1983 arcade game, and I believe it's the first video game with polygons in it. Wow. So if you ever just want to look at what the future looked like in 1983 and here's a giant polygon eye oh heavens i'm looking at it right now it sounds horrifying this is a really strange looking video game so maybe look at that at least once in your life i don't think i want to well guess what i'm putting it in the chat you can't escape it now sure i can just ignore it you can see the thumbnail it's in your eyes now Uh, fine Oh God! <laughs> what is this? It's his eye robot. Oh. But yeah, like I, I really love weird uses of technology, and this is among them. This also reminds me, I was uh, looking at Virtua Fighter Three, uh, in like just videos of it in the arcades and seeing that it originally came out in July of 1996 and thinking that if I had seen that in an arcade I would have thought someone had beamed it from the future. <laughs> I'll drop a link to that as well. It's because it's super crazy what... Like, Sega was spending so much of its time putting money into arcade games that could not possibly work on its home consoles. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I could, I could probably ramble about more games that probably shouldn't have happened. <laughs> uh, yeah, I need to check his qualifiers for this. Uh, way ahead of yeah, which games were way ahead of their time? Yeah, like any of those ones that like say get through fifty thousand dollars at Lockheed Martin to license a chip for uh, flight simulations probably gonna fit in there. Did they really do that? Yeah. Hmm. 
$50,000 might have been lowballing. Okay, virtual racing. Was it virtual racing or was it virtual? Okay, it was. Uh, yeah, Lockheed Martin seems to have been involved in like one of the Virtua Fighter games, like the Model One or Model Two board. Hmm. Uh, so Model Two. Oh, no. Why would you do that? No! <laughs> okay. The Model 2 why must you? Why must you get songs stuck in my brain? Both Sega Retro's uh, statements on the Model 2's his article on the Model 2's history. Uh, part of a joint project between Sega, Fujitsu, and GIE Aerospace, later acquired by Lockheed Martin, Lockheed Marietta, uh, Martin Marietta in 1993, now part of Lockheed Martin. <laughs> Alright, that's weird. Uh, Suki stated that the Model 2's texture mapping chip originated from military equipment from Lockheed Martin, which was formerly GE Aerial and Space's texture mapping technology. It cost $2 million USD to use the chip. Wow. Uh, $2 million to buy the rights to use the chip. Uh, and he wanted to get the chip to the point where it could be around 5,000 yen per... Uh, its inclusion in a machine would cost the only 5,000 yen per machine. Hmm. It's actually really cheap. Yeah, like, especially for an arcade... Like, if you're putting, like, a space-age 3D graphic uh, graphics chip into an arcade machine, a $50 ad is, like, crazy cheap. But, yeah, like, that... <laughs> Anytime you want to go look at, like, pioneering 3D graphics from Sega, like, go look up some of Yu Suzuki's old stories about, like, the Virtua line. Because it's ridiculous. So, I would, I would count those as ahead of their time as well. Uh, as well as a number of Tri-Ace games that generally incorporated, like... Star Ocean 1 and 2 have a much more open structure that uh, later RPGs would generally evolve into having. Mm -hmm. So, there's that. And then some of them are just evolutionary dead ends, but still. <laughs> and also, no one has quite caught up to Resonance of Fate yet. One day someone will make a Resonance of Fate too, in spirit. Can only hope. And they then they will launch it the week after the you know Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy Seventeen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Uh, I was going to say we got a question from Discord today as well that I want to make sure we bring up, which is from Saitan eighty five or Sitan Saitan Kitan Kitan Kutan Kitan. C-I-T-A-N-85? Mm-hmm. Who says, is Grania 3's story really that bad? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'd have to replay it to elaborate more, because most of it has slipped out of my head like a sieve, unlike mm. the first two games, so... I don't know, I just, I, have... I just remember being so astounded to realize that this girl who's been go um, walking around with me for like the first part of the game was actually the main character's mom. 
Yeah. I'm like, okay, somebody really had some interesting issues when they were coming up with character models. Listen, so, some people just, you know, they get bored and they this is what they come back with. I have not played Grounded 3 at all, so... I mean, the story's bad, but what about the rest of the game? I mean, it's still a good version of the Grandia battle system. Like, the character development is decent. Better than 2? Worse than 2? Mm, different than 2. <laughs> okay. But, I mean, like, 1 and 2 are just better com overall packages, so... It's uh, it's hard to really not uh, just go for... You could be playing one of the other two, which are more compact experiences, more fully realized experiences, and might actually leave you satisfied. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, are there any characters that stand out to you as having really great outfits? Ooh, that's a good one. Hmm. I mean, I I've been playing Final Fantasy X lately, and they've got some interesting outfits in this. Never understood oh boy, do they. This weird <laughs> ribbed armband. Yeah, I was thinking more like um, the uh, the interesting variation on a Japanese shrine maiden's outfit and kimono that Yuna is wearing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Speaking of which I'm just I'm about to get rid of um, Sin's nose. Oh, that part. Yeah, I just um, he's got like on his next attack he's going to wipe everything out. So um, Yuna had a limit break and she is Mega summoned the Mega Sisters. Oh well, then it's over. It's pretty much over. I just haven't actually seen this animation before. Um, but yeah, so really great outfits. Um, a lot of the Italia herons had some pretty good outfits. Um, yeah, they do. Some, some of the worst ones I can think of were also from Atelier. Like the doll character <laughs> from Atelier Sophie, who, when they, Ooh. when the doll maker came up with the mannequin, I'm like, seriously, dude, what? <laughs> uh, this is what you consider appropriate attire. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty bad. Yeah, it's something else, all right. Yeah. But, um, I mean, for fun, I'm assuming that they did not... Um, that they did not censor Maria's outfit for Metal Bag Xeno. No, no, they did not. <laughs> Someone sounds dismayed. <laughs> well, I mean, she's basically wearing a themed purple undergarments, garter belt, and everything. Wow. Yep. And that's it. Well then. Yep. Um, they mean, went they, for it. Yeah, I mean, she is the immortal Maria, partly because she can survive in that combat outfit. <laughs> Quote-unquote combat. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's combat librarian, and, you know, she's got some scraps of cloth covering some bits. Yeah. Legally not nude. 
<laughs> no, if you want to go with that, if you want to go to the fullest extent of legally not nude, check out Queen's Blade. Um, no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I I have to say for the PSP because I'm pretty sure that the game book version did not um, surpass the legally nude point at least once. Um, game book version, uncut and uncensored. I mean, we're talking about the series where the second game had featured um, cameo characters, including one who, when her, or she was like an original a model character that somebody had made up and had tried to sell at Comic Hat, and got him banned from Comic Hat. <laughs> wow, I'm impressed. <laughs> I don't want to know what it takes to get banned. Something from about how the character's only piece of um, only article of clothing was. A very conveniently located bag of IV saline solution. <laughs> nope. Nope. No. 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 Nope. Didn't want further clarification on what it takes to get banned from Comic Cat. Regret getting it. <laughs> but yes. Okay. So yes, we can come up with some really awful ones. Um, yeah, if we just want bad ones, we'll be here all day. <laughs> yeah, we got to get creative here. Um, yes. I'll always respect like Final Fantasy, like the the fight between Final Fantasy art direction and people who actually actually implement Final Fantasy character designs into video games, which was of course a fight that uh, they continually lost. But I mean, they made a, co- a good old college try. Uh, I mean, not always. A successful try, especially with those Amano designs on the NES, but... Unlike Dragon Quest, which always looked kind of like what it was supposed to. Yeah. But it helps that uh, Toriyama's artwork was never as heinously intricate as Amano's. But I mean, there's also just like even even Nomura would challenge them occasionally. Uh, squalls for collar in FF8 is just haha, render that, suckers. And they did, kind of. Yeah. It's identifiably not of the same material as his uh, as the rest of his jacket, so that's close enough. <laughs> anyway, yes, um, I managed to beat Sin's nose off, and now right. we're on the inside, and I need to get going. So to avoid it, Giga Ravija. See ya. Yeah. All right. We'll see, see you ya. next week, sir. Mm-hmm. So, we got any other bad outfits, good outfits, good bad outfits, bad good outfits? The, the entire cast of The World Ends With You. They're all Shibuya kids. Mm-hmm. I think Persona 5 had especially good... I, I mean, pretty much the whole cast of Persona 5 in the, had really good outfits. Listen, yeah. every, everyone wants a coat like Jokers. That's just science fact. <laughs> <laughs> But I want, but I would rather have Ryuji's mask because spells are cool. So, I mean, what you're gonna do? And the other things I think of aren't really RPGs. It's like, like we were talking about El Shaddai before. I love the way Enoch looked, where he's like looked more like a like a blue jeans model than a typical action star. <laughs> was literally a blue jeans model. <laughs> what brand of blue jeans was El Shaddai hawking? I need to check this again. <laughs> They were they were specifically branded blue jeans, but I don't remember what they were. You know, he's a messenger for God, but he can't wear a shirt. Okay, <laughs> they were Edwin jeans. 
They were oh, the official, God. like they were the official blue jeans of El Shaddai. Oh, jeez. They they did not get their money's worth out of that cross promotion. <laughs> uh, an, expi- an ignition rep explained to Engadget back at the time uh, that Lucifer is capable of traveling through time at will and enjoys the 20th century, bringing back styles from that era into the distant past for himself and his pal Enoch. This includes the jeans they both wear, which are Edwin brand. In turn, Edwin will offer special El Shaddai styles of its jeans in Japan on display in glass cases at that TGS. Wow. So yeah, that, uh, the, like, yep, blue jeans model. I'm sure you chose that verbiage in specific, but still, man, that game. That game was something. Uh, choices were made. Oh, and I can't find the picture. And of course, the other one I think of, not RPG, was Cat from Gravity Rush. Oh yeah, yeah. Gravity Rush has a good aesthetic overall. Love from the game. director of Silent Hill One. What? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. So he he went Silent Hill to Sony's awful, awful Siren series to Gravity Rush. That, huh. It's weird. Somewhere someone is screaming out in rage that I just called the Siren Games awful collectively. <laughs> and that nerd can suck it. Oh, and of course I, I can't... play right in. <laughs> Man, I can't find the photo now because there was someone complaining about like how her uh, outfit was completely um, uh, you know, like not practical and then the artist who drew did the character design for Cat like drew this little comic panel of her putting on the outfit. <laughs> <laughs> He thought about this a lot, excuse me. <laughs> uh, I don't know that there's such a thing as a practical uh, gravity-defying outfit, but... I mean, the point of the outfit is also to billow in the wind as you're falling, so... That's Unless why she's gonna... got the scarf. Yeah. It reminds me of... Uh, there was a character... Uh, the PS2 Shinobi, the main character's uh, scarf, was super, super long. And the thing that was interesting about that to me was I remember reading anecdotes back in the day that they were like, yeah, originally his scarf was not supposed to trail half across the screen, but like someone just sort of like mislabeled how long it was supposed to be. And when we, you know, checked that test build, people kind of liked it because it made it easier to tell where he was and where he had just been. So we just kept it. Uh, yeah, that that sort of thing is always amusing. It's like, oh, this wasn't supposed to be the way it was, but then we made had a bug and it was good, so we kept it. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we've got, and again, we've got a million and one options for bad outfits. So. Yep, yep, lots of like twelve-year-olds and in inappropriate things that I've tried to purge from my memory. Every Etrian Odyssey needs you to know that you could have a 12-year-old in bondage here. <laughs> well, let's go play some more Idea Factory games. Get plenty of that. I'm reminded of the uh, the awkward zombie comic about uh, if the webcomic. Was, it was a Fire Emblem Awakening one where they're like just... Uh, it, it's just about the fact that other characters can marry Naoi in frickin'... Fire Emblem Awakening, and it's just all of them being like, I don't want to be near you, and then 
the last one that she tries to talk to is just like, I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> but but she's actually a dragon and no, secretly thousand year old. <laughs> Uh, I don't. I don't. I need to see if I can find this because it's. There's a lot of these, and they're okay. Yep, I found it immediately. I don't want to go to jail. Uh, just, just drop this in the chat that we may all bask in it, and everyone else can try to find it. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so I think we can did we, move on. Did we miss any of the questions? Least favorite character in one of your otherwise favorite games? Anyone got one of those? Uh, Usually I can at least mostly enjoy even the characters that I don't like because I'm probably not supposed to like them in otherwise well-written games. There was a character in Blue Dragon, <laughs> a game I enjoyed quite a lot. Sorry, I didn't hear that. What game? Blue Dragon. Oh, Blue Dragon. The, yeah. The, was... the beeping mascot? Yeah. F that guy. I remember you the being furious while playing annoying. that game every time he talked. Yeah. Ugh. And from what I hear is... easy to fall into this case. Well, I hear that he was even worse in Japanese, too. Uh, he probably had a mascot character voice, which tends to be loud, shrill, and kind of squeaky. Yeah. So, you live with that. Uh, uh, Snow from Final Fantasy Thirteen. I actually kind of like Snow. Yeah, I guess Hope is actually the more annoying one. Like, Hope is kind of supposed to be annoying for a long time. It's true. Like, FF and he thir- succeeds. FF13's <laughs> cast is generally, like, pretty on point on being exactly what they're supposed to be for the first about two-thirds of the game. I haven't actually ever bothered finishing the game, so I don't know if that continues. What? <laughs> Once I get to chapter 11, it's just like, oh, I'm out of motivation because the game's not pushing me forward anymore. Yep, that that happened to me. I guess that actually happened to me, too, because I went and finished Resonance of Fate instead. <laughs> and then went back and finished 13. I think I've still got like a save file from like 2010 or whenever the game came out. It's just sitting in chapter 11. Welcome to Grand Pulse. I, I bought it on Steam a while back, but I hadn't got around to gotten the motivation to try it again. I remember at the time people were like, "Yeah, that's where the game opens up. That's when it gets good." And it's like, "No, it's not pushing me forward anymore. It's not doing what it was good at anymore." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was gonna say I got to that point, and it's like I liked, like I enjoyed this because it's a linear RPG, and now, eh, that's <laughs> not like I would have been fine with. Like the issue is that it suddenly puts you in a place where it's like go nuts, and then when you're done, go over here, and it's like, well, I don't know if there's anything I want to do here, but I also don't know if you want me to be doing a lot of stuff before I leave, so... Yeah, and also there's giant dinosaurs that can murder your face. Yeah, that are supposed to be post-game, and they suck really hard. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's a cool area to look at, but, yeah, I, I would have preferred... And, and honestly, the story-wise, um... I don't think the game spent enough time there either. Sort of. Like well, it, here's Pulse. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, it feels like this giant, mysterious area where there used to be people living here, and yeah, it doesn't really 
delve into that much. World cohesion is not a 13 strong point as a general rule. Yes. And thankfully the sequels fixed that, by which I mean they did not. They almost <laughs> made it worse somehow. It's been 500 years yeah. since time stopped. Um, uh. <laughs> but, oh man. I, like, I can, I can kind of go to bat for Snow early in FF13 because he immediately screws up, but also, so does everyone. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, that's true. Like, the immediate response of... So, like, Snow screws up before everything goes to hell. Everyone else screws up immediately after. And also, he's voiced by Troy Baker, so it's hard to hate him that much. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, Lightning punches him in the face because he's being irritating, but at the same time, her response is to go and essentially drag a child on a suicide mission, so... <laughs> Like, basically, everyone's kind of an idiot, but they're, like, varying degrees of sympathetic idiot at that point. Because, I mean, like, Saz and Vanille are also undertaking a completely insane and irresponsible response to this. But the difference is that there's also the very human, uh, uh, I don't know what to do, I'm leaving. Peace out. I do love the part in FF13 where it tries to fake you out that Saz has died by having him dragged off in a coffin for no reason. It's not clear why they put him in a coffin. He wasn't dead. He's just in a coffin for one cutscene to make it seem like he might have died. Yeah, that was kind of stupid. <laughs> I don't know. It's such a, one of those... Like, if you're writing a story where you have, like, that kind of cheap gotcha, pause to consider the fact that people aren't going to... That after the initial shock is gone, people are going to wonder why the hell you did that in the first place when it makes no sense. <laughs> when you really think about it, it's kind of amazing how good Final Fantasy XIII is, considering what a mess that we it could pick was, apart obviously all of its to put together parts. For yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's literally a game made from what was done. But yeah. I, I do appreciate it as like. The natural evolution of FF102's obsession with the idea of like, well, job class is that you can like you can't keep all the abilities, but you can change between them in mid battle. And so the paradigm shift system from FF10 from FF13 is the natural evolution of the garment grid from FF102. Live with that now. Mm-hmm. What was this question? <laughs> least least, least liked favorite character in one of your favorite games you like. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's see. Like, Fuka from P- Persona 3 was not one of my favorites. Persona 3's cast dynamic is always all kinds of messed up, and the problem is that Fuka, they never really figure out what she should be doing. Yeah. Also, there's a dog. Like, Koromaru is good. Ken <laughs> sucks, too. Um, yeah, Ken's not great either, but he had a plot. He at least has a plot. Yeah. Whereas, like, Fuka, they give her her, like, friend, and then you don't see her friend for six months. And then when <laughs> everyone else is having, is having like, an epiphany that causes their persona to change, her friend just moves away, and, like, oh, well, I guess she needed a new persona. Okay. That's that, then. <laughs> Yeah, three had real high highs for me and low lows. And yeah, that uh like the ending? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a scary door. Um yeah. 
the, the ending. That ending is uh, the terrible character in the game. <laughs> I generally like my favorite awful character. <laughs> the ending. The ending. Uh, yeah, like that. Uh, that. That's one of those things where, like, uh, I'll always remember. Like Persona Q perfectly encapsulates the difference between Persona Three and Four's cast, and why Four's ended up generally being more popular. It's just like there's a bit in Q where like the cast meet up and Yukari is like, oh, you guys all like each other. And it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's it perfectly articulates like the weird cast dynamic in three where like it's obvious that a lot of these people would basically never talk to each other again if they weren't forced to live in the same area. And, and but, part like, of that the, is interesting. That, that it, could be interesting. The game just doesn't use it. Yeah. It's just it feels like all the neighbors got together because, well, someone has to go in the dungeon. Whereas, like, you can you can make party dynamics that are non-harmonious, that have characters that actively don't like each other, but oftentimes what you end up actually creating is these games where the party dynamic is all of them have a relationship to the main character, none of them have a relationship to each other. And that can produce a party dynamic that's not actually that interesting. It's really static because they don't they don't interact in any way that isn't initiated by the player. Hmm. You know, this is making me think of granted, obviously I haven't beat it yet, but uh, Trails of Cold Steel. There's some characters I found initially annoying, but what I really like is how the game uh, takes you to like their homes and you learn a lot of their backstory and then uh, slowly over time you kind of like everyone <laughs> it has enough <laughs> or at least fun. i have so far ha- like yeah i mean cold steel immediately sets you up as like basically the first thing that you're going to want to do in one of the first dungeons is to like immediately go and just punch out the rich kid <laughs> yep. It's like it's, exactly it's, what it I'm very specifically is trying to make you do that because it's actually doing a thing here Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you know, a lot of times what what I find is that if a game has a character that is accidentally annoying, it probably has a lot of them, <laughs> and so I can't really think of a lot of games that are otherwise well written, but that otherwise, but that I have that I end up hating any like one specific yeah. character. Well, I I don't know about hate, but like the the other one that I thought of that like falls into an archetype is the you know the child party member. Yeah, and the one I'm yeah. thinking, and the okay. one I'm thinking of was Iris from uh, Sakura Tyson, where she's a little trying at times, definitely. Sakura Tyson's this, the first one, anyway. Uh, yeah, not not, yeah, not I, so I, long. I love. Yeah, I was thinking like I, I was trying to decide if you would if you had played one of them without a localization or not. <laughs> uh, played one with a fan translation. Oh, I didn't know there was a fan translation of the first one. Yep. Nice. Should look that up actually. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those kid characters. Uh, I mean, there, there's a reason they've also been hated in basically every other form of media for a very long time. You got to be real careful about how you handle those. I, I've blocked out most of my memories of uh, Star Ocean Four, but I rem- I do remember the kid character from that being especially annoying. Uh, I think I think it Kay? caused me. The, 
I think I even went to like tried the Japanese voiceover because even the voice acting was annoying. No better. No. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's I think her name's Limel. I remember like that character sticks out as like, oh, you're just the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna yeah, say that the game also implies she's secretly thirty, which is also concerning. Oh no. <laughs> what? I missed out on that. I probably quit playing. <laughs> Uh, oh boy. Okay, okay. That that explains it. I was I was exaggerating in my brain. She is supposed to look six. She is secretly fifteen. Oh, okay. Oh. That makes it not worse. Any better. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think that makes it worse. Yeah, probably. I've banished <laughs> most of this from my brain. Uh, yeah. Oh, that game. That game's got a pretty bad cast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that was a game I made it through like thirty hours of it, MST three K style, just like making fun of it, and it, eventually it was just too painful to even make fun of anymore. Big fan of the bit where uh, you go to alternate Earth and accidentally nuke the planet because you ended up crashing at Roswell or whatever. And, and he gives away the key to the obviously evil people to blow yeah. the thing up. And then I'm somehow, sorry, what? and then somehow, Commander Wait, Idiot what? here is also the only person that feels bad for blowing up an entire <laughs> planet just because it wasn't from their dimension. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Like he was the only one who had a realistic action reaction to it. Like everyone else is just like, whatever. It's not our Earth, and he's like, what? We blew up an entire planet. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh, Star Ocean. That, like, <laughs> 1 and 2 are two of my favorite games ever, and 5 is pretty good. 3 and 4 are just terrible. Just completely awful. It's, it's a series of highs and lows, I'll say that. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, that's Star Ocean 4 is another one of those, like, generally games with bad writing have irritating characters across the board. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one or two characters in that that are tolerable, like, Bacchus is kind of okay. But, I mean, otherwise, it's just, oh, oh, please, just, the the gameplay is not fun, but the, but the talking is worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember giving up where there was, like, these this battle where you had to fight these enemies like you had to fight like three or four waves of them in a row with no healing allowed in between oh, and I was just like nope nope I'm done yeah uh, and now I'm just thinking about uh, just games with weird and or like underdeveloped or bad casts hmm <laughs> <laughs> like oh here's chrono cross and all 40 of these characters that all are all are just an individual accent filter uh i'm thinking of the cast of legend of dragoon for some reason why because, mostly because like late in the game it's revealed that one of the characters has been uh like on a child killing rampage once every 108 years and like you have to forgive them why uh, good reason? Uh, like, the, the child killing rampage has a specific reason, though you would hope they would be more targeted than they were. But, 
How could there be any good reason? <laughs> uh, plot complications. Nice. Uh huh. It's it's bad. Um, Legend of Dragoon is not a well thought out plot. Um, something something every hundred eight years the black monster. Uh, something something Moonchild. Uh, something something Malbu Frama. I'll never get over it. Like that is the uh. most goofy freaking ultimate evil villain name ever, Malbu Frama. This that's that's the real villain's name. Yeah, Malbu Frama. Really. That's something else. He's a big wing wing boy, I guess. Uh, oh, I forgot all this awful, awful lore. Uh, there's there's some part of me that still like remembers all of this game, and like I know some people like it. Still, I every time I try to replay it, I'm reminded of the fact that I don't like it, but. There's a part of me that can't get it out of my brain on some level, so occasionally I have to ramble about Malbu Frama existing. And now you have to hear it too. <laughs> well, and also now I know how a cat from Gravity Rush's outfit works. Yeah, I finally found that. <laughs> That's the most work-safe uh, person-getting-dressed diagram you could possibly make. <laughs> Cute, but uh, yeah. Oh heavens, we've I've gone far afield of the original question. I apologize. <laughs> no, that's welcome to Q and A quest, sir. <laughs> welcome to Q and A quest, episode ninety four. Somehow still doing this. Uh. We're gonna hit a hundred before we know it. Yeah, we it's really need to have our plan ducks in a row for that. Yeah, I'm telling you, we're gonna stream Unlimited Saga. It's gonna happen. Like that's your responsibility, buddy. You got the. Yeah, it's fine. I'll do it. I've tried to get getting recording working, and like, there's always like, if I'm running it on emulation, it's always got these. Uh, frame skips that I can't get rid of and they cause enough irritation watching the video that I'm never, never satisfied. <laughs> One day I'll get it working. Hmm. <sighs> Welcome to Malbu Framacast. Freaking Malbu Frama. <sighs> it's a quality name. With my last breath, I cursed Melbu Frama. <laughs> How do you even spell that? Uh, M e l b u, f r a h m a. Oh, there's an H in there. Right? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you think some, some kind of scrub speller can't work out how Frama is spelled? <laughs> Oh. oh man! All right, do we have any more questions? I think we, I think we ran ourselves <laughs> out. Before so we, we go talk further about off the garage, embryo. The what? That's, uh, I'm just gonna. I'm just like at some point, I'm going to start saying things about Legend of Dragoon's plot, and you're not going to be able to tell which ones I'm making up. 
<laughs> so like I'm gonna say start talking about the city where you have to go fire a new law out of the law launcher and you're gonna be like no that can't be real and I'm gonna be like nope no that can't be real no I don't believe you 200 percent the can't. law launcher yeah the law launcher <laughs> Jesus. how does that game have fans uh, I'm sorry I'm sorry Legend of Dragon fans it has its moments okay I guess. I mean, Final Fantasy VII is weird and strange. But like the strange have a law launcher. <laughs> FF VII's strange moments are what makes it so charming. It's true. Legend of Dragoon just kind of like oh, all the things you did to strip things out just made something that wasn't that interesting. Yeah. Just launches law straight in your face. <laughs> Legend of Dragoon is one of those games where like they realize late in the they seem to have realized late in development that the. Uh, pre-rendered backgrounds were essentially completely unreadable, and so they had to, by default, set it up so that everything that was an exit had a little arrow pointing over it. <laughs> like, a lot of PS1 RPGs Oops. have that as an option, but usually it's not on by default, yeah. because usually the backgrounds are readable enough that you can tell what's an exit and what isn't. But Yeah, so it's usually just something you flip on if you're lost. Yeah. Whereas in Legend of Dragoon, it's always on, and it's always on because it's really hard to read them in a lot of places if it's not. Yikes. From here, go to the Law Factory. Is there... Uh, I, I don't know if you're making a joke or if that's actually something in... No, that's, that's in there. Legend of Dragoon. The Law Factory? Yeah, you go to the Law Factory to get something to fire out of the Law Launcher. <laughs> You can you can propose a few different laws. There's only a couple that you have to, but there's other ones you can. Well, I think I already have a title for this episode. <laughs> Wingley Code 659, Apprehension of Intruders by Robot Policemen Hereby Suspended. <laughs> and, and here I was thinking it was a bad translation. <laughs> Wingley Code 640, waiting in line to pass a law is hereby suspended. <laughs> Wingley Code 339, shops adjacent to the law factory shall henceforth cease and desist from engaging in lawful trade with non-Wingleys. <laughs> that would actually just directly harm you, the player. Oh man, and and of course, like no one reaches that if they aren't already a fan of the game because it's uh it's on disc four. <laughs> very very strange, very strange in every. I I can't finish that sentence. Just very strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. Have we run out of questions? Or? Yeah, like at this point, I'm just going to be rambling about uh, the life and times of the director of Silent Hill and the Law Launcher. It's completely unrelated. Oh, I'm still, still like any time I need to bring up something in a video game that's like, what can I bring up that's real but no one will believe until I've spent like ten minutes explaining it. The Law Launcher is one of the first ones. <laughs> Uh, all right well let's attempt to wrap this thing up um 
so any well, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> any cool things? Law any, launcher. Any cool things anyone's playing right now that isn't Dark Souls? <clears throat> uh, still playing World Ends with you. Oh, Soul Calibur Six. Oh, nice. It's I soul. put up. <laughs> I put up a uh, jeez, what is it? Adventure Corner today for four twenty eight Shibuya Scramble. Nice. Ooh. That is an like, extremely good visual novel. Everyone is that game possible it. to find in physical form anymore, or am I going to have to go digital? I don't know. I haven't looked at Amazon. Let's see. Is it still in stock at Amazon? Uh, come on. PlayStation 4, Sega of America. Seems to still be new purchasable new at $43. There you go. Nice. It's not too bad. It's come down a little bit. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things about it, so... It, it, it is pretty outstanding. You know, like, unique. In a, in a You don't see... A, I can't think of another visual novel that actually uses photographs instead of illustrations. Hmm. These are some good photographs, just by the way. <laughs> the, the, yeah, there is fantastic, just like over the top. You, you know, since everything is just still images, the the actors kind of went ridiculously over the top, and it <laughs> it works really well. Oh man, now I'm thinking of the only other one I can think of. But if I bring it up, I might curse the entire cast, and it's it's not fair to take attention off of 428 Shibuya Scramble to bring this up. <laughs> But 428 is really good. Everyone should play that. And then, uh, oh, I've been playing, uh, I just started playing a new VR game tonight. What's that? The Astrobot Rescue Mission. Hmm. Hmm. The, the basically 3D platformer that Japan Studio made. And it very much, it's, it's like playing a 3D Mario game in VR. <laughs> huh. Can't believe that secretly it's probably Jumping Flash 4. <laughs> But I mean, it looks it looks really great. It plays really well. It has that same sort of like um, very similar. The the VR aspect is just you know you are actually like a robot in the world that is like controlling these this other robot that is actually doing the platforming. It's robots all the way down. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And so you know because your character is in the world part of it is like moving your head and looking around to kind of find all the hidden the hidden places you can go mm. very very similar to moss earlier this year that had that same sort of thing going on although this is much more like a straight platformer rather than moss was more like more like a puzzle game puzzle action mm. game but I'm seems pretty good so far i like platformers i like vr <laughs> Yeah, Japan Studio usually does good stuff. Although I'm not up on which which different part of Japan Studio does what. Yeah, they're kind of a... They don't draw that much attention to themselves. Yeah. For the record, the thing I didn't want to draw attention off of Shibuya Scramble on, but now that we have moved away from it, I can bring up what that other... Uh, what that other beloved visual novel with photographs used in it, Plumbers Don't Wear Ties. Which, if you know what that is, 
I'm what? sorry. <laughs> Is that really the name of something? Yeah, plumbers don't wear ties. Okay. With uh, I think it was for the 3DO. Oh jeez. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Theoretically an FMV game, but I mean, at the same time, uh, one, it just offers choices, and two, uh, I'm pretty sure there's no actual video. I'm pretty sure it's all just uh, pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I remember there was a period where someone, like right when YouTube annotations first started being a thing, someone just put the entire game on YouTube, and you pick choices by clicking YouTube annotations. <laughs> <laughs> and it was... Uh... Oh, yeah. Wikipedia backed me up here. Uh, received negative attention for its lackluster production value, nonsensical storyline, poor acting, and humor, and for primarily being presented as a slideshow despite being advertised as a full-motion video game. <laughs> it's, uh... It's also a game where, like, occasionally it'll assign you points. There's no points system, but occasionally for making decisions, you'll get points... You'll get, like, a... You get negative a million points. So... And that's how you get one of the good endings. <laughs> Very bad, theoretically designed to be marketed as a porn game, has no porn. <laughs> that could be a problem in the marketing there. Yeah, I think it was possible to unlock like pictures that were like, oh, I guess this was for when they were going to make it try to be an actual porn game, but like, very strange. It's really strange all around. Don't don't play it, but be aware that it happened. Well, I've been playing the very not porn game. Uh, That's always like a Vulcan. disturbing. Pre like that always makes it sound like you're denying <laughs> something. Like definitely not. Uh, Valkyria Chronicles Four. I, I played some of that. How are you liking it? I like it quite a lot so far. Um, much better than two, which I dusted off recently, just to um, so I didn't finish it, and I'd like to at some point. So. Dusted off the PSP and got that going again. Yeah, two wasn't and the the greatest, was it? No. I mean, two and three really. Three is a little bit better, obviously, but just it, it the sort of game uh, that you want Valkyria Chronicles to be just doesn't work in that conf in the confined battlefields they made for the PSP games. Yeah, I, I felt like the story in 3 finally kind of like bounced back because 2 was just, you know, bad on both fronts. <laughs> yeah. 2 was like this thing where they immediately like removed stakes from a story, which was impressive. Like you started with World War 2 and then it's like, but let's ignore that and have hijinks. <laughs> well, I, I just felt like the the... You know, like having like they were trying to go for like gritty civil war with atrocities, and you you know like you'd have a village that was wiped out, and then you'd come back and it would be like, okay, who's going to this high school party? Ooh, you're just like, like I don't care, buddy. <laughs> like, these two things don't work together. Yeah, like that that game was it. very much. Uh... A poorly calculated misread of the market when they were like, "Well, we're making it on a P making it on PSP now. What are the kids like?" Persona is popular. I hear we should make it in school. <laughs> Children love school, by the way. 
No, they don't. That's a lie. <laughs> I know. Horrible, horrible I, lie. I'm reminded, it makes me think of the frickin', like, itchy and scratchy and poochy joke about, like, so you want something that's down to earth and deals with your problems, but is also off the wall and swarming with magic robots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You kids don't know what you want. That's why you're still kids. Because you're stupid. Just tell me how to fix the show. Uh, uh, the Simpsons. Uh, that's a good episode. Still. Yes, it is. Uh, well, I, I guess by the fact that we're talking about The Simpsons, we should probably wrap this up. <laughs> Listen, The Simpsons RPG is inevitable. This is like a temp uh, number sure three I'd... to wrap it up, so, you know, it sounds yeah, about right. Yeah, that's also true. Uh, yeah, you can send us questions to the usual place. You can always throw stuff up on Discord. Um, hoping to get a Dark Souls impression up at some point this week, although I've basically spoiled the entire content of the thing over the course of this episode. There's not much to say, if we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> There's a little bit to say, but I think a lot of it probably boils down to I wanted more of a comprehensive remaster than I was ever going to get. But I feel that we have differing opinions about what a remaster should contain. Sure. Let's have that debate but, uh, next week. <laughs> yeah, But I mean, part of it is just like this game was important, not just to me, but I think too important to games in general and... And that's why I think uh, they shouldn't change it. That's that's one argument for sure. <laughs> but I mean, we've always had remasters where you could say play the original version or play this remixed version or different things like that. We can have this discussion more if someone actually asks about sure. it. Yes. All I'm saying is there's more you could have done while also leaving in the original version. But anyway, Just play it all right. We, yeah, we will see you all next time. Uh, as I said, questions, etc., etc. Discord comment section. You can probably at Ask Wheels on Twitter if you want. Yeah, you could even email me. I check my email. No, you don't. I do. <laughs> I totally do. <laughs> it's like my one email address that isn't chock full of spam. Well, now I know what I'm doing with my time. Oh, crud. <laughs> All right, and then it's time we'll to sign up. Uh, see you, Space Cowboys, but it's time to sign up Wheels for uh, a number of service uh. pieces he's not interested in. And the bamboos are now you know the plot